0: we to the September fifteenth, two 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you very much for joining us. It is good to be back in the saddle. Let's get a quick take on U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos visiting Colorado this week as a part of her Rethink School tour. The controversial education secretary was met by demonstrators as she visited Firefly Autism House in southeast Denver. Patty Calhoun from Westward, let me first begin by thanking you for taking over host duties uh, while I was away. I'm sure our viewers enjoyed uh, uh, an opportunity to hear intelligent questions for at least a couple (laughs) weeks. We're going to put that right to bed uh, today. Uh, So thank you for doing that. What did you think of the visit from Secretary DeVos?
1: And thank you very much for returning. It was interesting that she chose Firefly because, of course, Firefly was the scene of the case that went to the Supreme Court. And they issued their decision back in January, the Andrew F. case that said that for an autistic child, sometimes public school wasn't going to be enough and that private school, the proper private school was acceptable. That's gone back down to the lower court. Ca- courts for the reimbursement issues, so we're going to be hearing plenty more about that. It's a Colorado case. As for protesters, sure, until she proves she knows what the Americans with Disabilities Act means, there will be protesters.
0: Indeed, there will be. Mike Krause joins us from the Independence Institute. Mike, the Institute has been doing a lot of work on education issues. Uh, They're not afraid of controversy, and here we have a pretty controversial education secretary. What do you think of this Rethink School plan that has been
2: part of this tour? Well, first, it's interesting that, of course, Betsy DeVos was met by protesters because there's a cottage industry whose job it is to protest her to the point she needs to be escorted uh, to avoid physical harm uh, from time to time. That this was a very different visit, actually. The last time she was in Denver, and by the way, the protests were very different. I don't think a lot of these people weren't DeVos protesters. They were general protesters. There was some anti-Trump stuff, some DACA stuff going on. She was here to talk broadly about parental choice in education to the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is also a lightning rod for protest. So it was a much bigger, grander protest. Keep in mind that Betsy DeVos was here today talking about this rethinking education, making the specific point that parental choice also applies to kids with special needs. Uh, so the political optics would have been different for protesting because essentially you would have been protesting a woman who was here making the case that, yes, these kids and their parents actually uh, deserve options, which is a big part of this rethinking school things is is options and parental choice. So, uh, yes, she's met by protesters, but a very different dynamic than last time she was here. John Bowman from Five Points News joins us.
0: John, Colorado is no stranger to controversial education issues. We've had a lot of them go to court here. Uh, We've had a variety of school districts go at it and, and offer new different reform ideas. So do you think Colorado might see Betsy DeVos more often because of our general nature about education? Well, appropriate ambitious is
3: uh, is one of the words that are one of the phrases that they use for this visit you know while great advances have been made for kids with disabilities and and mainstreaming them into 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 regular classes um, I think a lot of times that works for some but not for all and in many cases sometimes uh, teachers that deal with special needs children you know, say they're—it's detrimental to some of the classes that they're in. So I guess at at some point, parents having to sue to get their class, uh, students into the classes that they need—I I think that's going to be the big issue going ahead. And 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 having to sue to get in classes is probably not a good thing.
0: so Silveri, executive director of Progress Now Colorado, uh, rounds out the panel. It's good to have you back here. Uh, And when you see these kind of protests of a national figure coming to
4: town, do you think that might lead to some local action? Does that spur some momentum? Well, I mean, the fact is that many folks on the left, the middle, and and plenty on the right actually don't understand why Betsy DeVos is the Secretary of Education. (laughs) Her qualifications are mysterious, and the only one anyone can really conjure up is the fact that she's a pretty big donor to the Republican Party. So her visits to Colorado will remain controversial um, because she still hasn't set foot in a public school in the state of Colorado, which is where the vast majority. Of children in Colorado get their education. Colorado has a decent school choice framework, better than a lot of other states, especially Michigan, where the DeVos clan has sort of been hammering away at it for quite a while. But the fact is that you know it's it's, a, it's kind of low-hanging fruit to go say we support kids with disabilities. Everybody supports kids with disabilities. I think it's really important that we move forward on that policy, state level, local level, um, and the federal level as well. But I mean, until Betsy DeVos proves that she's actually a qualified Secretary of Education, she's going to be met with resistance whenever she shows up here.
0: Governor Hickenlooper has called for a special session of the legislature to begin on October 2nd to fix a problem in a new tax law that accidentally eliminated recreational pot tax revenue for special tax districts. Republican leaders questioned if the special session is needed, but Democrats support the move. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator Cory Gardner announced a bipartisan measure on Wednesday that would make it easier to conduct nationwide marijuana research. Patty, let's keep it simple for the first question. Is the special session needed?
1: Well there's action definitely needed on that one bill which as we remember it was the hospital provider fee variation, it was the fix, it was the long discussed issue in the legislature. It was moved through very quickly at the end based on sustainability for rural Colorado including hospitals like the one in Hugo that were worried they would have to close if it didn't pass. But it does prove that there's a reason for editors and more specifically for proofreaders because (laughs) they moved so fast they just missed the fact that in changing the marijuana tax from 10% to 15%, they eliminated RTD, the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, and some other special districts. Special session costs maybe $25,000 a day. RTD's estimated it's going to lose $3 million. So it's a better investment to do it now than wait until October. Uh, Presumably, they will only deal with the language issues, and as an editor, I'm happy to help, uh, but <laughs> if they did d- go back into the whole hospital provider fee controversy and as an end run around Tabor, that could be a problem. Interestingly, there was another typo in uh, a House bill regarding medical marijuana research It was that would allow state-sanctioned marijuana research, which is very much needed, um, and it was only for medical marijuana. They wanted to include retail. Maybe they'll put that in the special se- session, too at the same time Cory Gardner now is pushing for marijuana research on the federal level it's only medical marijuana but it is time for us to get some real science on marijuana so that we can decide what works what doesn't work especially as this huge market in California is about to open up
0: well especially with so ma- the majority of states now having at least medical marijuana it seems like we get some more momentum in, in D.C. Mike uh, let's go to the special session first I. I, first of all, I appreciate and completely agree with Patty's point about the need for uh, copy editors at the capital. but I'm stunned it took this long that we are here in the middle of September like, oh, wait a second, we should fix this mistake that's just going about to cost uh, an organization $3 million. Does that delay surprise you? Um, well,
2: actually, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Hicklenburg would call this special session because it reopens uh, a very controversial uh, bill that was, and let, let's not forget that what we're talking about, SB 267, was literally jammed through in the last couple of days of the session with about 70 pages of Strike Below language, uh, all in an effort um, to avoid going to, simply going to a vote of the people and asking uh, if we could move this money out from underneath the Tabor caps. Uh, so basically what, what happens now is all the Republicans who voted for this thing get to come and revisit and relive uh, their embarrassment and betrayal of voters and taxpayers by uh, passing this bill that evades Tabor, and especially embarrassing for the the sponsor, uh, Senator Sonnenberg, who must have been too busy cutting deals in the last two days of the session to even know what was in his own bill. Uh, So this is an example of, uh, let's call it the Obamacare syndrome. We had to pass it to know what was in it. And the fact of the matter is that if you're a lawmaker and if a bill lands uh, in your committee in the waning days of the legislature, Significant bill dealing with significant amounts of money, uh, and and constitutional issues, and you have no idea what's in it. Uh, out of principle, you should simply say no.
0: John, uh, we've clearly seen from Mike's point of view that there's going to be some sort of partisan divide on this. Is there a risk to this special session that, where uh, Hickenlooper might be asking? Governor Hickenlooper is uh, opening up a uh, opportunity for this to become a bigger Pandora's box. Well, uh,
3: that, that's always a possibility. I, I, I'm I'm a little I'm a little uh, perplexed in terms of this all happened in June. I mean, they should have understood that, as you mentioned before, it took them f- four or five months to figure out there was an error. RTD hired uh, Branberry and uh, what is it, McKenna, the lobbyist group, uh, and those are the ones that were monitoring this bill and the language in the bill. They paid them $122,000 to monitor this whole this whole issue. Now, if RTD was really concerned about making sure they got their three million or whatever the the amount is uh, from those taxes, it seems. Seems like that 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 lobbyist firm should have caught this and should have known about this um, at this point i'm i'm like why don't you just give the money that RTD was supposed to get back to the people, the taxpayers? <laughs> well,
0: that, uh, that, that might spark a special session at some point there, John. Um, Ian, I think we've seen even on, for, and, Excuse me. But, and
3: on Gardner, I think he found the like button for marijuana. So that, you know,
0: <laughs> and, there's a lot of that going on in Washington. I I don't know. The, the like button, indeed. Uh, Ian, it's clearly um, a partisan issue, even from the reaction to the special session announcement with Republican lawmakers saying that it's not needed. We're only four months away from the next session. Uh, Democratic, uh, the the House uh, majority, Speaker of the House, uh, Chrysantha Duran, came out and said we're we're for it, let's do it. Is this going to be a, we come in here for five minutes and rubber stamp this
4: where we fixed it? Or is this going to be a bigger fight? Well, I mean, you're talking about the Colorado legislature here, so nothing's ever easy. <laughs> um, having worked down there for 10 years before I took my current gig, I actually worked with uh, former Speaker Dickie Lee Hollinghorst and Republican Senator Larry Crowder on the first instantiation of the hospital provider fee enterprise fix a couple years ago that actually passed the House with broad bipartisan support and then met its death in the Senate Committee, where they have a majority by one seat. Um, Bill Cadman was a lot less willing to sort of deal on that bill than it seems like Kevin Grantham, the Senate President, and Jerry Sonnenberg, um, I think he's Senate President pro tem, uh, were willing to try and like do what they could to save the rural hospitals. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what this issue was is all about. So you know, you're opening up the doors of the Capitol, you're letting 100 lawmakers back in. Anything can happen. The good news is that according to our Constitution, it's the governor that actually sets the scope for the special session, and the governor has set the scope very, very narrowly to fix this one issue in this one bill, and that's it. There's questions about plenary power of the legislature. There's the ability for, you know, certain members to move certain bills. I think those are all going to be interesting questions that come up here. For Republicans, uh, Mike's right. I mean, it puts them in an awkward spot because a lot of them kind of bit down hard and and kind of plowed through a lot of the right-wing special interest noise from Americans' prosperity and our good friends at the Independence Institute around Senate Bill 267 at the end of the session here. But let's not forget, you may... Take quarrel with the issue that there was a technical glitch that needs to be fixed right now. That's kind of why we have the power to hold a special session to begin with, not have to wait till January so RTD doesn't get bled dry in the meantime. But quite frankly, these lawmakers are going to come back, and I really do hope they continue to do the right thing for Colorado because this was a broad bipartisan compromise where both sides kind of didn't love it, but the, the job got done and rural hospitals were able to stay open.
0: Governor Hickenlooper announced this week that Colorado will join New York, Massachusetts, and Washington in a lawsuit challenging President Trump's decision to end DACA. Meanwhile, the governor denied a pardon for a Peruvian woman who has been fighting her deportation after receiving a felony conviction for living and working under a stolen name and social security number. Mike, again, we have another uh, twofer here, uh, but I'll start with the, the governor's decision to join this lawsuit. Uh, we, do we have a divide here between the governor making this decision on a lawsuit and our own attorney general, who I guess at, at some point would be the one having to uh, do the work on this?
2: Well, uh, yes, there is a divide. In fact, uh, Cynthia Kaufman declined uh, to, to, uh, enter, to join the lawsuit and has publicly stated that she disagrees with the arguments, the legal arguments. Uh, and so however this system works, what's going to end up happening is not the attorney general. Assuming it's the governor's lawsuit with special counsel from within the governor's office being allowed into the AG's office uh, to run the lawsuit, so Cynthia Coppin did not sign on to this. Uh, and but and the point one of the big points is that regardless of how you feel about these kids, the Dreamers, uh, the fact of the matter is that DACA emerged as a uh, as President Obama basically bypassing the legislative process when he couldn't get what he wanted out of Congress, and creating exemptions to the law through executive order. This is executive overreach. Everyone knew it at the time. So essentially uh, what the governor is doing is he's saying, I approve of this executive overreach since I approve of the outcome of it. So the lawsuit essentially supports a pretty blatant piece of executive overreach. Attorney General Kaufman is correct in that this is a congressional fix, and in fact it's headed to Congress, and... I would think, given the last couple of days' events of Donald Trump being in talks with Democrats on the Hill, that we will see a DACA fix. In the meantime, thanks, Governor, for wanting to. Uh, so, so far, uh, Governor Hickenlooper has decided to fix federal health care issues, <laughs> and now he wants to fix federal immigration law uh, via lawsuit. And uh, In the meantime, our, our roads are still crumbling, Governor.
0: John, uh, immigration is a very difficult issue to ride that middle rail. It's, it's pretty thin for politicians. But this week kind of seems uh, Governor Hicklip, we're seeing trying to at least ride that. Here he is, filing the lawsuit, joining other states in the DACA lawsuit, but then also not uh, caving into other pressure to uh, pardon uh, the Peruvian immigrant who has had a felony conviction. Um, is he going to be successful writing this middle ground?
3: Well, at least nobody has called anybody an idiot in terms of the Attorney General. I mean, the, the governor hasn't gone that way. But at the same time, I think, you know, when you have this is one of those like you said a very difficult subject and if you commit a felony and you use stolen paperwork and this and that to get into the country in the first place and set up your life I think you're you're, you're, you're in terms of rails you've gone off the rail and and i don't think the, i don't think the governor has any choice not uh, to, to to not pardon her i think that's the right thing to do um, everybody i, I, I I'm, I'm for the dreamer kids getting citizenship or whatever the step would be to let them stay legally they've been here since they were children. Children, and and if they stay out of trouble and they do the right thing then then I'm I'm all for that but I get I guess I guess you know when when all is said and done the criminals should go Uh, The kids that are good should stay, and I can't believe I'm even agreeing with Donald Trump. It's it's crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let it be known. They're going to write this one uh, this day down, John. you might pay for this later. Uh, Ian, two very different moves from the governor here. Your thoughts on both?
4: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, something has to be done at the federal level in terms of comprehensive immigration reform, and that's why you see a cognitive dissonance at state levels all over the place, right? You see certain states setting up sanctuary cities, sanctuary policies to make sure that we can protect kids, protect parents, not disrupt families, not disrupt businesses not to disrupt education systems that have had these kids you know they've only ever known this country but Like, let's zoom out a little bit. I mean, the the common argument around this has to do with like, well, the parents didn't break the law, so the kids are innocent. At the end of the day, it's because we have a broken immigration system that does not work for anybody in this country at all. The line's way too long. The process is way too inefficient. We're not vetting people properly. We're not allowing the best and the brightest to come and contribute to our country, and they should be. I thought I thought that DACA was unfortunately a band aid that had to happen on a broken immigration system. You had a bipartisan bill in the U.S. Senate that passed, went to the House, and met an untimely death where four and four democrats and republicans in the senate agreed we need a comprehensive immigration reform this was before trump and the wall where things were a little bit more normal so you know where we are right now is a little bit different but at the end of the day you see these cognitively dissonant moves happening on the state level that unfortunately i don't think take into account the full human cost of these activities, when you're deporting people, you're, you're changing their lives completely. And, and yes, this woman broke laws, but she wasn't a violent criminal, right? She didn't hurt anybody. She didn't kill anybody. She was simply trying to work to provide for her family. And people who are coming to this country to escape terrible situations in their, in their home countries, we need to have a pathway for them to be able to settle in this country and contribute. We're a nation of immigrants. My grandparents came here after the Holocaust, you know, after World War II. And, and as a result, I was lucky enough to be born here.
0: Patty, you know John Hickler very well. You've known him for a very long time. Where do you think his heart is on this issue as we see two fairly different decisions this week?
1: Well, I would guess his heart is probably with all the immigrants who are having trouble dealing with this, who are good, who would be good citizens if they could be citizens. But I understand the difference between the clemency issue and the DACA issue, which is she made a choice to come here. She made a choice to use false identity. It wasn't completely victimless, although it wasn't a violent crime. So, to offer clemency on that when there's so many people looking for clemency on so many issues, I think that would have been a tough call for him, given the law. You can't compare that to what happens with the DACA kids, the Dreamers who truly were brought here, no choice of their own. Most of them have been living exemplary lives. If they are criminals, we can face that, but Good luck to Congress. Just trying to parse all the information and all the tweets coming out the last few days, it's hard to tell whether to be optimistic that Congress has some kind of compromise with Trump or not, but they need to come up with a solution for those dreamers so they can get on with their lives, ideally for most of them here in this country.
0: Denver Mayor Michael Hancock released the city's close to $1.4 billion proposed budget this week. Housing affordability, eviction assistance, behavioral health, and increasing the police force are among the many issues addressed in the plan. John, you have reported and seen a lot of city budgets. Uh, This is a good year. Everyone's excited about the revenues coming in. We're growing, so it's a big budget. What did you think? Did anything stand out to you as a major issue or game changer in the budget presented this week?
3: I I thought this was like... The way he's uh, proposing this, there's seven different topics, seven different uh, venues for money to be used in. And uh, this is like going to a Chinese restaurant and ordering two from column A and one from column B. You can vote on different things and you can have uh, mix and match and choice. But I don't think anybody knows where and how much each one of these is earmarked for. Um, you know, we've still got these lingering, you know, white elephants—the the, the under the taking I- I-70 underground and the National Western Stock Show redo—and uh, we're missing out on all the Gaylord taxes that we could have been a partner on if we'd have moved the National Western out there. Instead, we're going to take over neighborhoods. We're going to we're going to take over buildings that are 100 and some years old, and we're going to try to bring them up to up to up to date. Uh, many of them can't even be brought up to date. And then you've got the golf course issue and the ditch and everything else. So. There's a lot of different things. I, I'm just not sure that this is the right time. I mean, we're riding high right now, but everybody, you know, in, in, on Wall Street is saying the, the crash is coming. Now, we're, now, now, taxpayers are going to be hit again for another 1. Some billion dollars. I still am an advocate of seeing what we have done with bond issues over the last five or six years. Where is a report card on what money has been spent fo- spent on, and what projects have really come together? I mean, I will give the city a good mark. For doing all the street repairs that have been going on in downtown, Colfax has never been smoother. It's amazing, but this budget I think is over the top, and and um, I, I I would urge everybody to say no. <laughs> that's my
0: that's my thought. <laughs> okay, uh, Ian, Mayor Hancock is beginning a lot of national attention. He's a a, a mayor with uh, leading a growing national city, so the the attention makes sense. Does this budget match the aspirations of our city?
4: I think it's an incredible time to live in Colorado. It's an incredible time to live in Denver, the metro area. I mean, we're booming. It's great. John's right. I mean, there's always terror on the other side of the horizon, (laughs) so you got to be careful. you got to plan smart, right? But this is an innovative budget in a couple of ways. There's some interesting things in here. Um, This $500,000 fund for helping folks with rental assistance or moving out or paying their heat bills and all that. I think it's interesting, and it's not just going towards folks like sort of at the very bottom of the income poll. It's sort of in the middle, and that's something that people in the middle income bracket generally don't see a lot of help from the government. It either goes in tax breaks to rich people or handouts and assistance to people with low incomes. So I think that's an interesting thing. Affordable housing is a huge issue in this town. The legislature dealt with the construction defects issue last year, so we're supposed to be seeing all these wonderful condos popping up everywhere. I, I don't see them yet, but I'm, I'm well, waiting. Well, they're great. They're starting in the mid-700s. like 700s. Fantastic. Um, I I thought affordable was the word we were going for here. So I think these are worthy causes and worthy endeavors, but I think John's right. Being skeptical and looking at the details I think is going to be really important for counselors and voters and everybody who has a chance to weigh in on this budget going forward.
0: Patty, did anything stick out to you as a big issue that our viewers need to know more about?
1: Well, they should look at all of it and try to figure out exactly what it takes to run a city and, are the added things things they want. It is difficult to look at it right now and think, okay, what happens if that 900 plus million in bond issues isn't passed in November? What won't we get? What priority should there be? Because this budget is based on those all passing. And those were all based on a lot of needs we have. But I will counter John at one point. If you look at the Building a Better Denver website that the city set up after the bonds were issued ten years ago, you can actually see where those bonds have gone. Some of them I think went where all the voters hoped they would. Some maybe took a little bit of a turn, say the Betcher bonds, but you can see where the money has gone. It's just there's so many needs to build to deal with this increasingly busy, dense pothole. I must argue, if you're not on Colfax, Pothole City. And there are some issues you've got to pay attention to.
0: Uh, Mike, wrap it up for us. In $1.4 billion, a billion here, a billion there, sooner or later, we're talking about real
2: money. The, 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 <laughs> the, the, true, the, true, the true level of taxation is, spent, is whatever the level of spending is. I mean, that's what, that's what your tax burden really is. And Denver may be riding away right now. But also remember that Denver's also been subsidizing a lot of this growth uh, in pursuit of becoming what, and I hate to be a broken record, I said this last time I was on, in pursuit of becoming a luxury city. There are essentially two kinds of cities in this country. There are opportunity cities, there are luxury cities. San Francisco being a great example of a luxury city. Houston actually being a great example of an opportunity city. And Mayor Hancock and and a lot of people in Denver made a decision a long time ago that they were pursuing the same kind of policies these luxury cities do. That means that people get left behind when it comes to housing. And now they, so don't be fooled when you, whenever anyone says affordable housing, they're not, they don't mean aff- affordable housing is a house you can afford. They're talking about subsidized housing. And it's not going to be possible to subsidize our way out of what is a housing affordability issue. So you can throw as much money as this that you want, but at the end of the day, uh, this is not going to be the fix. Well,
0: let's quickly get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of
2: the Week. And as always, except for the last two weeks, Patty,
0: you get to start off.
1: I did get in last, the last two weeks, and I'm going for a third time on Mother Nature, not just content with decimating Houston and Florida. We have the wildfires you just went through in Montana. What's happening up in Montana all summer and through the Pacific Northwest is really a disgrace.
0: They're finally getting some snow. The place that we were at, <laughs> it was 80 degrees last week. and this first snow today. It's, just, it's been a little weird.
2: Mike. The passage of Senate Bill 267 was a disgrace uh, this spring, and it will be a disgrace again in October. So the double disgrace of the week is Senate Bill 267 and all the Republicans who voted for this. John. Uh,
3: after uh, the city has given uh, Washington Street redeveloper Carl Bourgeois millions of dollars to fix up the Brasonian Hotel, he finally made a – he spent 800000 for it and he now sold it for $6 million to one of the other developers that has already built on Welton Street. So finally the Rawsonian will get redone, but at what cost to taxpayers?
4: Ian. I hate to be the left-wing guy on the panel, but I'm going to have to say Donald Trump. I mean, these, these moves <laughs> all over the place on DACA are causing a lot of fear, intimidation. You're having kids in schools, like, fingering other kids, saying, deport this person. Like, that's not good for anybody. We have a massive problem in our country right now. We're extremely divided. And for Trump to come out in one breath and say, you know, oh, we're going to take care of these kids, no problem. And in the other end, no free rides in America. I, I just don't know what to do with this anymore. So we need some stability and, and we need the president of the United States to pick a side here.
0: Very quickly, let's do say something nice. The bumper sticker version. Patty.
1: The dinosaur discoveries in Thornton have been fabulous. Sadly, Mike Getty, who was a longtime paleontologist, passed away while just doing some of the discovery. Mm.
2: A couple of uh, um, sharp-eyed Edgewater residents where I live, uh, along with some very fast-responding Edgewater uh, PD who actually nabbed a couple of these annoying porch pirates in the act. Uh, And so just because stuff's sitting on my porch doesn't mean it's yours to take. John.
3: (laughs) And, and, you know, I'm driving Uber part-time, and uh, the number one thing people talk about is how unsafe they feel on the 16th Street Mall. I say bring back the horse patrol. Hard to fight with police on ponies.
4: (laughs) Ian. Uh, My wife, uh, State Representative Brittany Patterson, announced to run for State Senate this week, so she's going to run for Senate District 22 in Lakewood, and I'm really excited about it.
0: There you go. (laughs) That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you very much for joining us, and thanks for tuning in. As always, check out the segments of the show on Facebook and Twitter. I want to give a special shout-out to the various fans of the show I've met this last week at some of our events. Uh, We know that our 25 years on this show is made possible because of all of you. So thank you very much for your support for tuning in. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night.